I planned to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. Then I became the CEO man. Are you ready to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who will be telling their amazing, rags to riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires. Many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest, whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school. And with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years, have generated over $1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this. If you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you want to be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let Ditch Digger CEO mentor you. That's a real critical point, I think, mm-hmm. is to engage employees. I think any business owner, if they want to analyze their company to find out if they're high performing or not, if a good gauge of a business, Clinton, is employee engagement. There is no finer gauge of a business for potential. I mean, we can look at profitability and say, they have an 18% profitability, but are they capable of 28? What are they capable of? Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to say that unless you're in the business. Like, Gary, I'm sure you could look at a paving company in Reno, Nevada, and say whether they're performing and whether they're maximizing their capabilities, because you understand P's and P&Ls so well. But I could look at a company and find out what their employee engagement score is and realize that they're underperforming. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with two people I met through the organization I spoke at with you, the YPO. And it's a company out of Detroit that has two units, two separate companies. And they, they followed up and did an employee engagement survey. And they sent me the results, and I said, it's very obvious where you need to work. It's all the red marks, all the ones mm-hmm. that came out red. Work on those. Excuse me. Yeah. Work, work on those, and your engagement will soar, and your profitability and productivity will. It does. The second point is discretionary thinking. And, and this is a court, this four points of, of profitability, uh, or excuse me, culture, the four positives of having solid culture core values, comes from a woman named Sue Funkhausen, which is an organizational development expert from California, I believe she's in San Diego or San Francisco. But her point, that last one, is it engages employees and increases discretionary effort. Let's dwell on the discretionary effort. The average person has 60,000 thoughts a day. 60,000 thoughts. That's according to the Institute of Mental Health and Wellness. I think us entrepreneurs have about 120,000 thoughts a day because it's part of our disease of entrepreneurship. It just keeps going and going. We don't shut it off at 5 o'clock and go home. But that discretionary effort discretionary thoughts, the average company gets between 4 and 6% of those thoughts a day. That's all they get out of 60,000 thoughts. And my goal after reading about this and studying this in depth was why can't we get 8 to 10% or 10, 8 to 12% of tasty catering? Now, 
if we could get that, that's a difference of a quarter of a million thoughts a day. Hmm. What business owner wouldn't want their employees to give them a quarter of a million, him or her, excuse me, but give 250,000 more thoughts a day. Yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. So then the next progression is how do you increase discretionary effort? Well, following a solid culture, making sure the culture is alive. But also the big negative about discretionary thoughts is disruptors. Mm. So if I walked in today and the person sitting in the cubicle next to me is doing something that just turns me off and it violates our values, I'm sitting there thinking, why doesn't my supervisor, why doesn't my team leader discipline that person? Or if there's some other irritant, a disruptor going on in there, there goes your discretionary thoughts. The discretionary thoughts become mm -hmm. about the negatives. Yeah. It's not about how to make this company better. It's about what jackasses are running this company. So then the focus became focusing on the disruptors. And invariably, the disruptors are caused by people not following the culture. And that's why as chief culture officer, I pay attention to whether people are violating the values or not. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, there's no doubt that our business today, your business, I know for sure, weeds out people pretty fast that don't match the culture, right? Because they're... they're they're driven by the culture. They're, they love the culture. They come to work on, on Mondays excited to be there very often, right? Can't say everybody uh, every day, but uh, we, we have people that are excited to be here on Mondays. And um, I, I think that, you know, they're going to weed out those that come along that don't, that don't meet those core values. In the interviews and in our recruiting, we might miss a few things, right? We try hard, but we, miss, we may miss a few things. Or maybe we, uh, you know, somebody told us something that we believed that, that uh, wasn't true as far as how mm -hmm. they match our culture. But again, our, our team members weed that out pretty fast. That didn't happen 20 years ago. No. Didn't happen at all 20 years ago. Happens today a lot. And, and, and that's, that's exciting. When you have a culture, a foundation that's that strong, right, doesn't, doesn't allow weakness, uh, very often to be part of the team that's that's amazing right so it's it's not you and i having to make the decision that often anymore right to, to yeah i think i think gary we've discovered that when you have solid set of values it's very easy to hire on those values and fire on those values but more importantly it's very easy to hold people accountable to the mm -hmm. values yes you know is, are you treating people with respect then it's not Tom or Gary speaking to a staff member. It's what you agreed to work on. There's our commandments. That's what we agreed to. Are you doing that? Now it takes it from that intrinsic, you know, the, the extrinsic where I'm telling you to behave, and your intrinsic first reaction will be negative, rejecting it. Who are you to tell me what to do? Mm -hmm. To an altruistic purpose, are we both we both agreed to live this way and we're not. Right. So I think it's one of our greatest leadership tools is having an effective what, culture. What are your seven core values, Tom? First one is it will always be moral, ethical, and legal. And it's very difficult for people to understand ethics. Morals are understandable in our company because I asked them for a definition when they created this. Uh, morals are what's what does it take to fit into your group right now? You know, So if you're 19 years old, your group has different morality structure than a 71-year-old man's group. But ethics is consistent across the pace. I've never met a human being that disagreed with ethics, and we use Kant's version of ethics. One is the right to be told the truth. Second one is the right to privacy. Third one is the right not to be injured, financially, physically, emotionally, psychologically. And fourth is the right to an employer or explicit contract. So if I see an employee underperforming, I said, that's unethical. You're violating core value one. Do you expect a paycheck this week? Mm. You're not giving me what I'm getting for your pay. Yeah. So first one is we're always moral, ethical, and legal. Two is treat all with respect. Three is quality in everything we do. 
Four is high service standards. Five is competitiveness, a strong determination to be the best. Uh, six is an individual circle of discipline. In our instance, the way we explain that is that you own something. Everybody has to own something. Because if, we, if we're, if I can only relate to being a dad. If I'm a dad and I come into work and I make decisions at my house, why do I come into work and instantly become submissive to somebody hmm. and not make any decisions? It, it's violating my nature. It's a gigantic disruptor. So everybody owns something. And then core value number seven is freedom and responsibility within that circle of discipline. So you're free to make decisions, but you're responsible for them. So you can make any decision you want, but you're responsible for whatever you decide. Right. How powerful is that when you do that to a 19 or 20-year-old person working on a picnic, running a company picnic, that they're empowered to make a decision and no one will be upset with them if they made a wrong decision because they'll say, it was my number six and my number seven. I like it. And... Uh, one girl, I'm going to talk about her later today in a presentation, made a decision at 19 years old to cost the company $5,000. First one to do it, she's in her tribal storybook. And that customer is one of our strongest customers today because she gave away an event because it wasn't living up to our values. Hmm. So I think every employee that's been there for more than six months could say those seven core values, Gary. Awesome. It's just what we are. And you wrote a couple of books here, Tom. We talked about books earlier. Uh, just just uh, go into the, you know, why. Why did you, read, you know, write those books? What inspired you to do that? And, uh, um, you know, a little bit about each book. Well, I only wrote one book, Gary. The other ones were journal articles in okay. academia. And uh, I was on this incredible learning quest back in 2007 through 2010 as I marveled at young people running a company, given complete power to run a company and change the behaviors. They didn't really want to make many decisions about finance and growth in the beginning. They just wanted the behaviors to change. But then they started making decisions about growth and opportunities and starting new companies. So I looked at other companies that were winning best places to work. We had entered best places to work and took number one in Illinois for a couple of years in a row, and then two and four and one, kept varying in the top five. And then we entered national awards like Inc. Magazine, Wall Street Journal, and we took best place to work in the country. And I, I looked at the competitors, and one of them was at uh, Wall Street Journal's awards, and one of them was Mike's Express Car Wash in Indianapolis. <laughs> All three of us are laughing, right? Oh. Right, Quentin? Is that what you think of as a great place to work, I, I a car will, wash? I, well, I mean, <laughs> you, you do need your car washed, I guess. You know, do it with a smile, you know, I guess. You know. Well, I was so stunned. I got yeah. in my car the next day. I'm getting my car washed in Indianapolis because I said I have to go see. Because <laughs> yeah. my opinion in Chicago of car washes is not the greatest place to work. And when I went down there and saw these kids working, I was stunned. Really? So... I asked him, why, why are you guys so good? And the young man that was taking my order for what I wanted, how I wanted my car wash pulled out his values out of his pocket. He said, this is what makes us different. And I was stunned. Hmm. And if you go into a Mike's Express car wash today, they're in three states, 31 cities, you're going to find the same thing. Wow. They'll pull out the values and say, this is how we, how we live. What do they do? I mean, visually, what do they do differently that you can see? What do you, what do you feel different when you go into that car wash compared to others? I mean. Smiling faces that make eye contact of bright, brilliant young people. Hmm. Bright, brilliant young people. Not the dregs of society that are, are for, fermenting because they can't find a better job. Mm -hmm. God hasn't been kind to them. Something hasn't worked right. And, you know, if you see some people in these lower echelon jobs, it's like they've lost hope. Mm -hmm. These people all sparkled with hope. There was opportunities. They look like victors instead of victims. Exactly correct, Gary. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. 
So how do you how do you though go into these companies and say, hey, I'm here, Quentin, to examine your company. I want to know everything you did, and I want to see your P and Ls. You'd say, well, don't let the door hit you, right? <laughs> but I, it was 2009, and uh, we had won, we'd been winning these awards, and a retired Air Force colonel came to us. He just retired from the healthcare in the Air Force, and said he wanted to do his doctoral dissertation on tasting. He asked if we could do it. And I said, what's the title of the dissertation? He said, an ethnographic study of culture in a small workplace. And I said, what does that mean? <laughs> and he says, we're going to study your behaviors, how people get along with each other. And I thought for a moment, I said, sure, if I get the copyright for the book. He said, what book? I said, well, we've got to write a story about other companies. I'm thinking if I'm letting this guy come in here because I want to find out about yeah. my culture, what if he knocked on other doors and said, exactly. I want to learn about your company? We're going to write a book, and it's going to be featured in university. So the book, I didn't think it would be a bestseller. I didn't want to go that route. I didn't write, want to write another business, How I Became Successful book. I, I wanted to find out something that was academically sound and evidence-based research, mm. that this is the truth, that it can hold, stand up to any academic evidence-based research principles. I wanted it to use empirical data, and now that book's in like 60 universities used, and that's why I tour and speak at universities. If they awesome. use the book, I'm there to speak for them. They, you know, obviously, there's expenses that have to be taken care of, but no fee. It also gives me an opportunity to check young people's brains to find out what's motivating them today. And, and now you're invited on these universities that wouldn't have you before, which well, is pretty threw cool. me out. Kind yeah, cool, right? <laughs> exactly correct. <laughs> but. This, this history then, we've had six doctoral dissertations done. The last one was uh, by a lady out of Portland, Oregon, and it was titled Me to We, Distributive Leadership Methodology, and how she scientifically proved that this distributive leadership method works perfectly, but we're the only company she ever found that uses it. And wow. we didn't know what it was. We had no clue what we That's were doing. Awesome. It just happened to work out, and she identified it. So we came up with a list of about 15 companies and we recruited Dr. Ken Thompson out of DePaul University. He'd been at Notre Dame University and he had written some academic books and he was a senior examiner for the Malcolm Baldrige Award, which is the top award given to businesses in this country. It's given by the U.S. Congress. Very prestigious award, very hard to get. And we whittled it down to eight businesses, small businesses that were high achievers that had excelled in their areas. One of them was a hospital, Good Samaritan Hospital in Downers Grove, Illinois, and they won the Malcolm Baldrige, the first hospital to win it. And there was a shooting supply company out of Columbus, Columbia, Missouri, and they won the Malcolm Baldrige. And then some other, Rich Panico's Integrated Project Management uh, had won, has won the Baldrige also. He's out of Burr Ridge. They have, they have uh, project managers in nine cities, and they're extremely successful. And Jack Stack's Springfield Remanufacturing Center is another one. But when we went into these companies to do the research to find out what made them tick, we thought that it would be leadership, we thought it would be culture, we thought it would be systems and processes, but we never expected what we found. And when we walked into the companies, it would be Dr. Thompson and Dr. Benedetto doing research for a book on small businesses. And I'm there as a researcher, right? <laughs> but I'm the guy asking all the business questions, wanting to see the P&Ls. And the book found out that it was employee engagement. That was the differentiator. Every one of these companies scored over 90% in employee engagement scores. And every one of them was profitable, high productivity, and an industry leader. Wow. So that's the basis of the book. And then we brought in a 22-year-old millennial 
girl, uh, Molly Meyer, who was working for New Fork, the creative agency we use, um, as a content writer. And we asked her to, to work with us because she had told us that her dream in life was to write a book. And so she came on board with us and translated the book into common speak from 360-year-old men speak. <laughs> That is awesome. So uh, if, if you don't mind, so you have a number one bestseller. Uh, you are inducted, you and Gary, but you are inducted to the UIC uh, Entrepreneurship Hall of Fame, which is an amazing feat. And, and you have a lot of other awards when it comes to um, amazing culture with Tasty Catering. What are some of those awards? And then what's probably the most important one out of all of them? The most important one is the psychologically healthiest workplace in the United States for a small business. And we won that first time in 2014 after winning Illinois, uh, Illinois Psychological Association's Psychologically Healthiest Workplace. Boy, that says a lot. I'm yeah. getting all those <laughs> syllables in there. And then we won the national award the year after that for employee involvement because so many of our employees, or so many businesses launched out of our company. And uh, the employees became so involved. The engagement scores were like 98% engagement at that time. And then... I'm leaving the business, and my understudy has been replacing me for four years. So last year, we wanted to do another baseline with the American Psychological Association. So we submitted ourselves to be examined by them. And during this process, three psychologists and a doctoral student come in and examine, and they test all the employees, and they ask questions randomly of the employees. And uh, again, we won in North America and the United States, the psychologically healthiest workplace. There were 10 of us winners that year, though. 2014, we were the only company to pass the criteria. Wow. Now other companies are starting to understand that this is a good indicator. And what that means, Quentin, is that to me, what that means to me is that we've created a safe space where people are happy. They go home happy. Their families are happy. Uh, when you have happy employees and people make, you know, our business is to make people happy. And how do you make people happy at an event if you're a nasty person? Mm -hmm. So I think that's the one that I hope they put on my casket when I die. <laughs> if my wife doesn't burn me, if she burns me, they put it next to the urn. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so when you think of employee engagement, I mean, that's that's a big part of the secret, right? I mean, yes. Uh, they gotta be. They gotta be safe. They gotta be happy. They, they, they You know, anything else you can think of that. For your for your listeners, Gary, they could just go to go to Google uh, Gallup twelve questions Q twelve twelve questions, and that's the basis for every employee engagement survey. Say it again. Go Gallup go, twelve questions. Gallup twelve questions. Yeah, you just have to put Gallup twelve in your Google search, and it'll pop up. All right. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I can see it. I mean, you know, your, your your core values are solid. Um, you know, you, you've created a place where, like you're saying, you know, people people love being there. They're, they're, it's, it's like family, and you, and you see that. When I've toured your 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 operation a couple times, awesome. and we recommend people. Quentin drags people there all the time. All the time. Yeah. Mentees that want to know about great business and all that, and every time they come away wowed, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And how much these people make? You know, you, you, you think they're they're making fifty bucks an hour? They're so happy, right? Yeah, and yeah, and 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 in the catering field um what's the average retention rate and then what is you all's retention rate for employees that's a great question quentin i think the average national average is 50 percent because there's such a huge turnover in wow. hospitality and tasty has been four percent for the last three years i only tracked the last three years four percent how fun is that huh 96 percent of the people stay well and, and you know and and we talk about this all the time you know um we're we're, we on Ditch Digger CEO, we want outliers, people that, that think differently, that that 
go beyond that become outliers in their industries and you're you're a huge outlier in your space in your in your industry absolutely and in business on the whole i mean I, you know again when you compare any business manufacturing any business that 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 has you know pays entry level wages to get people going and and not a heck of a lot more than that even senior people because you can't can't compete with with uh, huge wages not not a lot of people we've ever seen have, have uh, a culture like yours no matter not just not just uh, catering, of course, but manufacturing and um, many other industries we see. Right, Q? Yeah. I mean, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, oh, thank you. It, it, though, I, I, to be very transparent, I'm only the keeper of the culture. It was created by our employees. It was created by seven staff members, and my brothers and I were not allowed to participate in it. <laughs> so it was truly by the employees for the employees. And it was them that insisted upon it being posted. It was them that talked about how to enforce it. So I'm just the keeper of the culture. It has to, you know, and these were millennials. I mean, these were kids, 24, 23. <laughs> these are brilliant. They were brilliant, but they were just young pups. But they didn't know any better to know what they don't know. <laughs> you know it was awesome. But, but again, it takes, it takes great leadership to recognize that, that you, you have care, people that care, that love and care about you and the business, that you can trust in yeah. these changes, right? Because if you don't have that, you couldn't trust them. They don't trust you even to even care, right? right? So that's the awesome part of it is, you know, the, 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 the people that you trusted tr trusted you. And, and sure enough, the big change culturally for you has been through their their leadership as you've as you let them lead as a leader you are, right? So that's really awesome. So as you're finishing big, as you call it, you know, uh, what, what's the next uh, what, what's next for Tom Walter? What are some of the next things that, you know, you have an amazing business? You, you've actually, and maybe you want to elaborate on that, how you've sold into other people and helped them start businesses as well. So, you know, you have a quality legacy that you're building daily, but what are some of the next things that, that Tom has on his plate? That's the biggest question in my life is what's next, you know, after – been in business as an owner for 49 years and there was always a clear path of where I was going and now I realize that physically and, and mentally I'm at a part of my life that I should not be making decisions about the future. I think that uh, the biggest problem in leaving what I'm doing is I have no place to go and the only place that I'm feeling comfortable with true mentors and, and folks like that sharing what I've learned with younger people, with people that are struggling with businesses. I don't want to be a consultant because I, I don't have the education to do that, Quentin. But I, I can just share life experiences and say what I think is important. You know, just like a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm an old man. But, you know, as we get older, we get wiser. And you're young and brilliant, and young people are young and brilliant and knowledgeable. But if I could help you with wisdom and you help me with knowledge, boy, what a pair we could be. Huh? Mm. And I see young people making decisions, and sometimes I wonder, that's really not that important. This is a little bit more important. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I, I, I like speaking to college students. I like speaking to business owners about what I've learned. doesn't mean it's right. But here, here's another issue that I have about business owners you know what worked for me is because of my personality no what worked for me is because it's based on ethics and ethical behavior and this is the way people act they want to act in an ethical manner and one ethical is one of the points that uh, your group gary has as a as a core value the word ethic is right there and i said i looked at that and said that is the most powerful word i think on that whole statement in your whole core value statement 
So I, I want to make sure that what I explain to people is based on evidence-based research, to go back to the academic term. And I'm a member of the Academy of Management, and I spend a week with 12,000 professors every year. This year it's going to be in Boston learning what they've found out in research about millennials, Generation Z. What are they doing that's different from any other generation, and how do you appeal to them? And nobody can dispute the fact that they want to be treated in an ethical behavior, in an ethical manner, no matter what their background is. Well, you're, you're, um, you underplay yourself a lot, and, and I know that's you because you, you, don't, you don't think of yourself any different than anybody else, but um, I, I believe that great leaders do what you've been doing for a long time. It's not like you just started doing this. You share your experiences to, to hopefully help others not have the bad experiences you might have had and to, and to also maybe, maybe gain some knowledge from the good experiences you've had. Now, that's, not, that's not common. I mean, that, there's great, great people, I believe, do that. You've been doing this for, for, since I've known you. Um, you're, if you want to be a consultant, you'd be an amazing consultant because consultants I see that I know that do consulting, the best of them just share experiences, and, and they're, they're transparent, they're, they, uh, and, and they're loving, transparent, and they just want to see people succeed. That's the best consultants. The worst consultants, in my opinion, you know, take all the information out of a book, and 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 they're very very academia driven, and 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 I don't think that I don't think if you don't if you don't have experiences, it's hard to share to share them, right? If right. you share them out of a book, yeah, it's just not just not that uh, just not that strong. So so again, if you wanted to be a high price consultant, you'd be an amazing one. You you probably you'd make more money you ever want to make probably if you really wanted to be that. But you're so doggone giving. That yeah. you're like, ah, you know, I just want to do this because I love people. I love doing this. But, man, I, I, I would pay you a ton. And I think anybody, anybody, any good, great business would look at you and say, bring him in, man. How much <laughs> we got to pay him? How much we got to pay this guy? Because he's worth every penny. And I'd be honored to work with both of you guys. Yeah, and you, you, I don't again, need the money. Your share experience. But I would love the opportunity. Your share experiences are amazing. Yeah. And, and, again, uh, you, you, you don't ever undervalue my, And I know, you know, you, you don't. You're just you're, you're a gracious guy. And, and uh uh, so it's 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 a, it's a lot of fun to see what you do and how you impact so many. And I, you know, I just look at True Mentors and what Quentin has built in True Mentors, and you know, we've we've got some we've got a few people like you uh, that are amazing that that really give back to these young people, and, and uh, it's a blessing to watch that. Oh. And if, if True Mentors has got some wonderful people, mentees that are in that group. And uh, after our last introduction with some of your folks, they've continued with emails to me, and that's just so rewarding that. What do you think about this situation? Just a simple question. And I only wish that would have been available to me 40 years ago, yeah. the opportunity to speak to somebody. But it's fun, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. What else have what else we, we uh, not hammered on yet here? Did we miss anything yet? No, we, we've done extremely well. I know for sure, uh, and you can testament to it, is you know, we, we're in an amazing, and I guess I could take the lead on it, we're in an amazing country um, where opportunity comes and uh, in other places uh, don't don't necessarily have the opportunity to build a business like you have, Tom, or and so into people like you have, Tom. So I know Gary normally, um, which you know he kind of leads this effort, is you know expressing the importance of um, just what type of business you have. Could you have had that any place else? Can you have had created a business like you've had from nothing? In, in some in, in the type of business you have in, a, in any other place outside of um, this amazing country maybe Israel and maybe some of the Scandinavian countries but I don't think it's possible because uh, one of our advantages is that we are so culturally diverse 
and we, we have so many ethnic and religious backgrounds. And yet, through all of that diversity, once again, it's all rooted in behavior, normal behavior or ethics. But I've watched our employees go out and start companies based on values, and those companies become very successful. I've seen other close friends start companies without rejecting values, and they weren't successful. So I don't think there's a better country in the United States than the United States about building a, a strong economy through entrepreneurs. This country is now 99.7% of all businesses in the United States have less than 500 employees. We're entrepreneurial, small business driven. And in 2010, millennials became the largest generation in the workforce. 2011, women became the dominant gender in the workforce in the United States. And in 2014, culture was the most researched word in the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary. And I don't think there's any, I think that's a very powerful statement. You put those three mm -hmm. together, Quentin, is that young women in a strong organizational culture that empowers people, not just women, all people, I think gives the United States a competitive advantage like none other. I think this world, I'm going to go off on a political rant for two or three sentences. I think this world would be better off if only mothers could be country leaders. Because no mother who carries a child in their womb is going to want to kill another child. At least a normal, not a psych psychopathic or sociopathic mom. Mm. And I think that we have long, we've not paid attention to the value of women as leaders for a long period of time. And I don't think as, a, as an old white male, I don't think that's any fault of my generation or anything else. It's just that women have babies. Most women have babies. And it takes them out of the workforce for a period of time. And their number one thought is their child. You know, you're going to be a dad. I'm a dad. Gary's a dad. But that that factor of that child isn't number one in our mind all the time. It's mm. providing for that child is number one. That's right. the typical male role. Yeah. Now, women, it's different. You know, women, yeah. the number one role is my child. I might be working in a job, but it's my child. Yeah. It's most important. And I have five sisters, and all sisters were excellent. They did better than the boys in school. One's a PhD, one's an MD, and two have master's degree, and one has her, her bachelor's. None of my brothers finished college, not one. <laughs> Yet the girls were all intelligent. They were all articulate, well-educated, and they were better athletes. So I've grown up my whole life realizing that the only difference between men and women is their is their, their gen is you know the specific parts that make them biologically different. But there are some emotional differences, but those emotional differences are more of a maturity. I think this revolution in the United States of, of recognizing women for what women are capable of doing and including them at a high level is very important. And it was women that helped change tasty catering to what they are. And it was, it's a woman in our culinary area that we call her the mother of tasty catering. She's only 35 years old, but wow. she's the heart and soul of our, of our company because she's so caring about people. I think this is the, the next revolution of this country, is being able to recognize a gender and bring them to prominence like they've never been promoted before. And I, I see a lot of change going on. But anyway, that's my political rant for a moment. We're in accord there. I think there's a movement going on that as a business owner, as a business leader, I think we have to be very sensitive to. And this is, when I was young, women could only compete in playing bridge or pinochle or hearts 
even the only thing that they competed in school was to be first chair, first chair violin, first chair trumpet, first chair whatever. Mm. Even yeah, the brass yeah. instruments, they wouldn't let girls play because it would ruin their lips. You know, mm. they wouldn't have perfect lips. Then Title IX came along. It was one of the radical changes that I've seen in this country. And now women are playing sports at all levels, and they're competing, and they're kick-ass mm -hmm. competing. The women's yeah. national soccer team is an example of sure. that. And, well, I've, and I now study, well, when we hire people, we want them to be part of a team. And if you're not part of a team before you come to Tasty Cater, and you're not going to get a job if you haven't been a member of a team or something else that has differentiated you. But I think in 10 or 15 or 20 years, and I probably won't be along to see this, we're going to see women who have grown up with competition, Gary, where you say they're hesitant, unless they know they're going to win, mm. they're not going to take a chance. That was the old style woman that was told, you know, only bet on a sure thing. I think a lot of women today, you know, we're generalizing and we're speaking wrong when you generalize like this. But I think just like we saw a trend of non-smoking in the 70s when they stopped smoking and now lung cancer has diminished. And instead, we're dying of obesity. But lung cancer is just gone because people don't smoke anymore. It took 30 years to get there, 40 years in, in this case. But I think in, in another 20 years, you're going to see the effects of Title IX with women not afraid to take that chance. Even if they have a 20% chance of victory, they're going to go for it mm -hmm. because they've been raised their whole life, train, train, compete, and win. My daughter is that way. She became a professional soccer player, and there isn't anything she doesn't want to compete in. And she, even if she has a 20% chance of beating her brother in something, she's going to go up there and try it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that's good. That's and great. So I think it's changing, and I think we're going to get to that stage where the biggest problem, again, is that women get pregnant. <laughs> get <laughs> well, pregnant at a well, hey, beautiful but, growth stage between 25 and 35 or something. And, yeah, and, and they're, and they're going to have that setback. I mean, yeah, how do we get around the, God? A period of time of nine months, or, or I mean, they're, they're always going to love that baby, so it's going to take him back further, further in, that, in that work time frame than a man, no matter what. And then many of them, you know, we, you know, we're blessed to be able to have have our wives and, yes. and our mothers that that raise our kids full time in, in many cases. Well, if that's 20 years out of the workplace, it it they're, 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 they jump back in and they, it doesn't take them long to really get no, back sir. on pace. But but they're behind, of course, and, and so we have that as as part of our our culture, right? Uh, but during that fortunately, time, fortunately, we have that. Uh, during that time, they grew emotional intelligence, oh, yeah, raising true. family, that's true. dealing with a nasty husband. Raising those beautiful babies. Compassion, right? Learning the, from the neighborhood moms, from the parent teachers. So they learn about how to deal with people. So when women come back in the workplace, I want them to be facing front. I want them mm -hmm. to be out with people because they've learned how to deal with people. The guys who come in and sit in the job and do the same job every day in their cubicle, they're not learning how mm -hmm. to deal with issues. Right, so, right. So it's very interesting. We could philosoph yeah, yeah, philosophize yeah. about this for hours, I think. But it's part, it's part of, uh, you know, it's part of these buildings, businesses, under, trying to understand, you know, the paradigms of each person that comes to work for us, uh, the, uh, the diversity of paradigm. And, and, and we've got it, you know, hundreds of ways over in our businesses, right? And, Correct. And if you don't try to understand that, then you're not growing. You're not growing. You're gonna, you know, we try, you have to generalize kind of, you know, what people think, but you're never going to be right on because everybody's so different, right? Mm hmm so, but that's that, that's uh, that, that's what you've done. You've built a business with with culture and, and, and community that's not common. That if, if anybody can can see your example and learn from it, they're going to be so much better off. It'll you know their, their business uh, will be way more success, successful. Our businesses learn a lot from your business as well as so many and and true mentors. We have all these young mentors and mentees, mentors and mentees that are learning from from Tasty Catering. So. Absolutely. Uh, and I learned from so them. So thank you. So thank you, buddy. We really appreciate you. Thank you. 
Well, I got some true takeaways here uh, from Tom Walter before we wrap up. And when I mean this is some powerful stuff, you guys, please, I, I mean, I, ain't gonna, I don't even have to promote it, but you might want to re-listen to this and give this to people that um, at your specific company so they can understand the value and listen to this over and over and over. But, you know, one of the things you said was, you know, you hire people not only for skill, but for who they are. And I think that's extremely huge because, again, that shows the culture aspect of it. Your people are your differentiator, you know, and, and that's huge because um, you're not the only one out there. And, that, and that's a testament. You know, Gary's out there yeah, shaking hands and connecting with people and talking about how amazing the Ray, the Ray Byron uh, group of companies are. But it's because of the people more than anything. Um, a good gauge of business is employee engagement. You know, the, a good gate. So if you don't have quality employee engagement, then maybe your business is not as uh, good as you thought it was. But I think one thing that you say, which is disruptors are a cause of people not following the culture and um, disruptors can be all types of things. And you gave a quality example of it. Um, you know, with mentees, I know they're always, well, I know I need to create core values and stuff like that. And I think one thing you say, which is huge, ethics is one of the most powerful words for a core value in any way, shape, or form. And as I think about it, every place that I've had that explains their core values that is doing extremely well, ethics is in there somewhere. Or integrity, right? Or integrity, yes. absolutely. Um, but one of the best things that I'm taking away from this, and all of that was good, you guys, but this is a nugget that you want to make sure that you keep. You are here on earth to get your family to heaven. Mm -hmm. And that right there lets you know that is your biggest mission because like gary always says what is your definite chief aim for your life and that in my mind for any man or woman that should be it mm, right there yeah. so uh that was huge tom that was huge awesome and uh, we i really appreciate you being a brother you're awesome and i every 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 minute i get to spend with you is a is a great minute in my life so and mine thanks. too spending time with you guys so thanks a lot tom you know, Walters. If, if we were to look at mentors in life and and this is what I tell young people. Surround yourself with excellence, and I'm here with two wonderful, excellent men, and that's awesome. Man, I appreciate that. From coming from you, it means a lot, brother. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see you all next time on Ditch Digger CEO. See ya! If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, ditchdiggerceo.com, for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at Ditch Digger CEO and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. became the CEO man We're blessed to build a business in America Where soldiers fight for our freedom every day Dad's work ethic was taught from the seat of a gravel truck Rolling down Highway 31 Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man Entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. 
Then I became the CEO man. 